Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. What do you think about this statement? The COVID-19 virus and its variants are pandemics of epic proportions and that they demand the most extreme measures to mitigate, prevent, and control their spread, including lockdowns, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, social distancing, quarantines, stay-in-your-house mandates, travel restrictions, border controls, contact, contact tracing, and internment camps. And only when they are completely eradicated will the world be safe. Or this one. Governments have manipulated the Wuhan virus epidemic by turning a manageable health care crisis into a major economic and social disaster, an excuse for stripping Americans of their civil liberties and an incitement of mass hysteria. Very different takes more or less mirroring the political divides we face in today's world. So, so what's true? I mean, what do the facts show? And joining me to dig into what's true and what's not true about the virus is Jim Agresti, founder of an extraordinary shop, Just Facts, which is a nonprofit institute dedicated to publishing comprehensive, straightforward, and rigorously doc documented facts about public policy issues. So Jim, you're going to settle the debate today. <laughs> I've been wanting to do that in just about every issue I've ever addressed in my entire life. So thank you well, for the opportunity. Let's give, let's give it a shot. Uh, what are the facts? Show? Just give us an overview of what, what you think the virus is and uh, you know, where we are right now with, with the uh, variants. So, I mean, that's a very broad question. I mean, the, beyond the obvious of what the virus is, I'd like to say this. The variants that the media and governments have breathlessly portrayed as the end of the world, again, um, are immunologically uh, unimportant. They do increase transmissibility, but what we've seen all along from the beginning and all the way through, which I've documented with 20 peer-reviewed journal articles, is that they have a very limited impact on naturally acquired immunity. And the big concern was early on, hey, you're going to get this thing, you're going to get it again and again and again until finally one day it kills you. And the data are simply not pouring in that way. So this Tom Clancy scary list of uh, the Delta variant and Omicron, uh, you know, return from Mars, all these sorts of uh, very scary versions of the, uh, of the virus, you say are just very modest deviations from the initial virus and really are much less lethal? Correct. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, in the very first week of the pandemic, a biomedical journal pointed out an absolutely crucial fact, which is that the SARS-CoV-2 virus, unlike a lot of other RNA viruses, uh, like those that cause uh, the flu and the common cold, has a proofreading mechanism in its genetics that limits its mutational capacity. It's not that it doesn't mutate, it just mutates much more slowly 
than other RNA viruses, which means that the immunity we get from catching it and recovering uh, tends to be long lasting. That is the case with a lot of different viruses that we uh, vaccinate for as children. Measles, mumps, rubella, polio, uh, the list goes on and on. It's actually the norm. The flu, for instance, influenza, which people sometimes vaccinate for every year, is a very rapidly mutating virus. SARS-CoV-2 is not like that. It's been confirmed time and time again by peer-reviewed medical journals. And they use the term proofreading mechanism or proofreading function. What, so does, that, what sure, does that mean? What does that mean? Well, uh, when viruses replicate or human beings or any creature reproduces, um, that's when mutations occur. There's an opportunity for something to go awry in that process and for things to change a little bit. And uh, when there's a proofreading mechanism in genetics, which we have in our bodies, right? Which is why we, we haven't turned into alien mutants just yet, right? While the things of comic books are exactly that, they're not comic books, uh, they are comic books, um, lower forms of life often don't have that. But the so SARS-CoV-2 virus does have that, and it prevents it from mutating too wildly. So, so isn't the, but this is different from flus. Don't flus uh, migrate or, or mutate uh, from year to year, so that's why we need an annual uh, flu shot? That's exactly what I'm saying. This is much different from the flu. So this idea that we've got to get a separate vaccine, if you've been vaccine, vaccinated for 19, that you need to get one for Delta and now Omicron and what other new ominous name that they, they come up with, it's really much ado about nothing? No, I wouldn't say that because the current crop of COVID-19 vaccines um, do not replicate the full spectrum of what we get when we have naturally acquired immunity from catching the, the virus and recovering from it. It's, it's a much broader immunity involving not just antibodies, but B cells, two types of C cells, and the vaccines trigger that to some degree, but it's, it's a much more narrow immunity. And, and studies uh, looking at uh, what happens in your body, look, looking at the immune response triggered by your body, show that. And also it, it's, it's something that you would know theoretically from understanding the science between how the RNA vaccines work, which is they uh, trigger your body to produce a certain kind of spike protein with two what they call proline mutations. I don't wanna to get too technical here, but they try to give it a little bit of breath like, like natural variation. But in our bodies, if you catch this, this virus replicates millions, billions of times, depending on how long you have it. And each one of those is an opportunity for a mutation. So you get some mutations and your body builds an appropriate immune response to those, unlike the vaccines, so the current me, crop of vaccines. So let me get personal. I got, I got COVID-19 about seven weeks ago, tested positive about a week later, had some symptoms from about a week. Um, they abated, and now I'm. It, it, it's it's not nothing. I mean, it's 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 something that's a little bit worse than a flu or a cold, and it seems to last a lot longer. But other than that, it doesn't didn't seem to be that severe. Um, doctor uh, Doctor Agresti, does this mean I now don't need to get any more vaccines? Uh, what what's it mean for people who've had it, recovered, and have the immunities? Well. <laughs> This doctor says you should consult with a real one. We'll, we'll put a footnote under the... <laughs> under the... <laughs> by, the by the way, I, I always uh, 
feel a little cocky and arrogant when I get a, a, an email from a doctor that calls me Dr. Agresti uh, after they read my research and they just look, presume, look, look, hey, look. this guy's got to have a PhD in uh, microbiology or something. Well, well, let me do a quick plug for your website. It's justfacts.com. Yes. Everybody ought to go onto that website. It's an extraordinary trove of information, extremely well-researched, extremely documented, and not just about this. There's a show that you and I need to do in the future on on monetary policy and, and fiscal policy. You've done a lot of work on, and the, the, the depth of which you go into every public policy, or not every, but the ones you've covered so far, is really worth everybody's uh, paying some attention to. So I, I can see why he called you Dr. Agresti. I'm, I may stick with that. <laughs> I've had quite a, quite a few of those emails come in that way, and every time it makes me feel good. But uh, so, so, anyway. my, so my question is, do I, do I, need, to get a, do I need to get another jab? It varies depending upon your situation, how old you are, what kind of comorbidities you have, what we learn about the Omicron variant, which is all new at this point. But thus far, even the, the uh, Pfizer vaccine, which the government and CDC and Pfizer and all these people are saying, well, you know, this, this uh, Delta variant, it, it's, it's really getting in the way of what we plan to do here. And by the way, in England, where they keep extremely uh, detailed medical records on everybody, about 60% of COVID deaths in uh, this late summer were, were COVID Delta variant deaths were among the fully vaccinated. So it provides them with a convenient excuse to say, well, it, well, it was this variant. It's not, and I'll tell you how I know this. There were studies done early on, one published in the New England Journal of Medicine, in June 2021, saying that this Pfizer vaccine works well against the Delta variant. I think the efficacy was 88%. Uh, just before we started getting all of these cases of what they call breakthrough infections, which essentially are vaccine failures, right? It's a nice way of saying the vaccine didn't work. Yeah. Um, if you remember, it was a big uh, study from the CDC out of Provincetown, Mass. They found this massive outbreak amongst the fully vaccinated. A week before that, Joe Biden, in prepared remarks, said, once you get vaccinated, you're safe, you're safe from Delta. And I can quote a bunch of other early things that happened before all these breakthrough infections. Well, in that happening. case, it's, it should have been Dr. Jill Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor in education, as I recollect. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't take medical advice from him quite that often. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're prep remarks, right? This is something his people, I'm sure the CDC had a hand in it. He had a, uh, an EPA official there. He had people there. This, this is, isn't something that came out of his mouth. This is something you read from a script. And all the, all the way along, you're seeing this works against Delta, this works against Delta. And then all of a sudden, it stops working, right? As, as advertised, as it was earlier, saying, oh, this is it. You're done. You get this, you're done. And all of a sudden they're going, it's Delta, it's Delta. It's not our product, it's not our policies, it's Delta. And really it is the product and it is the policies. Uh, you're, this is the Bill Walton Show and I'm here with Dr. Jim Agresti, uh, founder of Just Facts. And we're talking about the, uh, the, the vaccines and, and uh, who needs to get them and who doesn't. And uh, Jim, what, I, I wanna get into the politics of this, but maybe in the last segment, because there is this divide that I, I highlighted in, in the opening, uh, but let's get into the, the, the some of the scientific evidence now about how this spreads. 
And you've done a lot of work on the fact that this is not spread the way people claimed, and it's really uh, uh, an aerosol-borne uh, virus, which really changes all the stuff I mentioned in the list regarding vaccine or mask mandates and, and on and on and on. What's, what's the truth about how this is spread and, and how you can prevent it or prevent its spread? Sure. So from the outset of the pandemic, the World Health Organization and the CDC claimed that the disease was primarily spread by respiratory droplets. These are uh, relatively large particles that come out of your mouth as you speak, as you cough, as you sneeze. You can actually see them if you're standing in a window where the, where the sunlight is pouring in and you can see what's coming out of your mouth. They're coming out of my mouth right now as I speak. And, and they're liquid and they're relatively large and thus they quickly fall to the ground. And this was, according to the World Health Organization, the way it spreads primarily. So a mask would be effective against that kind of, uh, that kind of spread? Extremely effective. Right, but, because it can block it can block those particles and keep them away from others. Well, now, I want to show I want to show yeah. us a graphic in a, a moment, but let's talk about how it is spread and what the size of it is, and 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 in relation to what the masks can do for us. So even before the COVID nineteen pandemic, academic journals were publishing studies going back decades, saying, "Hey, it's conventional wisdom that contagious respiratory diseases." spread via droplets. But what the actual science showed, not uh, Anthony Fauci saying, I am science, but what actual science is, which is data and evidence and facts, <clears throat> showed it is not spread in that manner primarily. It's primarily spread through aerosols, which are microscopic invisible particles that are light enough to hang in the air for hours. And no mask can keep them in. Well, I shouldn't say that. No standard mask can keep them in. N95 can keep them in to some degree. But a cloth and surgical mask, the pores in them and the holes around their sides are way too large to contain these microscopic aerosols. Well, let's, t let's take a look at the graphic. Um, we'll, we'll put it up, but describe what we're looking at here with the uh, relative size of, of the virus versus the, uh, the mesh in the, in the masks. So, so in the, the middle of, of the chart is, is a small circle, and that is the size of about 90% of the respiratory aerosols that are emitted from someone who has COVID-19. If you'll see on the right side of the chart, you'll see all the sources there. You'll see that's a study of the proceedings of the National Academies of Sciences, and then on the uh, outer perimeter, you, you first you see a circle for a surgical mask uh, getting larger, and, and that's about 17 times the size of these respiratory aerosols. And that is the finest surgical mask found in a study in an academic journal that long predates the COVID-19 pandemic. See, what you're having right now during the pandemic is there's a lot going on. People are rushing to find solutions. It's been politicized, as you say. This data predates the pandemic. These were studied on a wide range of surgical masks, and this is what was found. And then that larger circle is from a cloth mask. It's the finest pore in a series of cloth masks that were uh, tested, and that's the size of the pore of the mask. And compare that to the respiratory aerosols. You can see uh, there's no way these are holding in 
an appreciable amount of these aerosols. So, so this, this, so these little blue masks that we've been uh, inflict, inflicting upon us for the last two years, you're saying the mesh in that is a hundred times larger, or the, the the gap in it's a hundred times larger than the uh, the virus. So, would it's, I think it's a hundred versus to one. Is that so? Is so that the roughly? blue the blue mask of surgical masks, the the gap is seventeen times. Okay. Right. The pores are seventeen times larger. The cloth mask, you're looking at about 80 times larger, up to, by the way, the worst cloth mask in this study was 500 times larger, okay? That, that's the best I'm showing on, on that graphic. And, and also, as we all know, these masks don't fit perfectly. And, and that's not a big deal if, if this were spread by droplets because it comes out of our mouth, it hits the mask and it stops there. Um, but when you get into something that's an aerosol, it can stay airborne for hours. So what will happen is it will pour outside the top, bottom, and sides of that mask. And, and again, I, I've documented at JustFacts.com numerous studies that show this. They're from yeah. peer-reviewed medical journals. They're not from a politically uh, uh, politicized site. It's really hard data and science that I've got backed up with quotes and links to the primary sources. Well, you've, you've got a piece on your website called Everything You Wanted to Know About... Uh everything you wanted to know about masks, but we're afraid to ask. I didn't read that rest of that. But anyway, it's, it's a terrific article. I will tell people it's 20,000 words and lots and lots of detail, but about, oh gosh, just a little bit into it, there's the graph we just looked at, which uh, describes the relative sizes. And somebody made a joke. He said, the, you know, using these blue masks to keep out uh, the virus is like putting up a chain link fence in your backyard to keep out mosquitoes. So I, I think that's an accurate word picture of what we see seem, going on here. Well, what does uh, what does work? I mean, there's and I also want to talk about the risks that masks present. Uh, but what, what does work? I think you mentioned something called UV disinfection systems. Yeah, so let, let's back up a little bit, if you don't mind, to, to your no, original take question you want, about what the CDC and, and the World Health Organization <laughs> did. So for the better part of the year, they claimed against all evidence that this was spread by respiratory droplets. They also mentioned that uh, touching, touching a contaminated surface with your hand oh, could yeah. do it as well. But the primary thing was res respiratory droplets. And, and what the science journals were showing is, no, these things fall to the ground too quickly to get into somebody's respiratory tract. You have to be a really close talker, getting really close to somebody to get the spit from your mouth um, into that's, their mouth or into their that, nose that, or into their lungs. That, that's why it spreads so quickly in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was Northern Italy and they don't talk that close anyway. <laughs> hey, I'm Northern Italian and I can okay. attest. That, yeah, that's resty, the way we roll, resty. man, we get yeah. close. <laughs> So, so we continue. You were. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I lost my train of thought there. Love well, the we're talking about the, the drop <laughs> spreading and the fact that, that yep. you can't get it on surfaces. And of course, mm -hmm. for the first year, everybody was walking around with these hand sanitizers. And, and uh, every time you touch something, people would be wiping it off. And then I think CDC finally came out and admitted that it doesn't spread on, on contact on hard surfaces. Yeah, they, rarely, they said, you know, they, they don't, you, you can't rule out any of these really from a scientific perspective, but you can say this, this is a, a very minor mode of transmission, if at all. Well, let me insert a uh, 
something I hadn't really thought we'd want to talk about, but it, it bears on this. It's, it's the precautionary principle. And it's and you know all about this, but in, in my layman's way of understanding, and it's simply that if there's a risk, you've got to do, if you really want to be uh, safe, you've got to do everything you can to mitigate that risk. And without really balancing the trade-offs between the cost of mitigating the risk versus the uh, taking an acceptable risk. And so a lot of what we're seeing with the virus, and you've documented, is that very, very tiny percentages or probabilities that something bad can happen, but none of those justify shutting down society, shutting down the economy. Thoughts? It's a simple matter of weighing risk and benefits. It's it's grade school logic, and it seems to have escaped a lot of the medical establishment, a lot of the government, a lot of the media. But you do have to weigh all of the benefits versus all of the harms. And throughout, they've consistently failed to do this. And a number of academics, quite a few now, spoken up saying, hey, listen, I was an early proponent of the lockdowns, but the way this is panning out here, what I'm seeing, uh, we didn't fail to consider the other side of what would happen if we do this. And it's far, far worse than any lives saved by the lockdowns, if any, because what happens, because this virus spreads so rapidly, the minute you end those lockdowns, unless you have immunity, herd immunity, this spreads. Not only that, you can have immunity either via a vaccine or, or having the disease, which is why I hesitated on your question, but it might not serve you well if your immune system is compromised. Um, people who um, have serious uh, diseases like cancer and they're uh, getting chemo, their immune systems are compromised. Our immune systems are compromised by something as simple as a lack of sleep. I've seen a number of people get really bad cases of this, including a good friend who was fully vaxxed. And what he did is he burned the candle at both ends. He stayed up a lot. And next thing you know, he was totally wiped out by this because a vaccine isn't like an antiviral medication or an antibiotic that directly attacks the virus. All it does is prime our immune system to react more quickly when it encounters the virus. And if that immune system is not working properly, it will be ineffective and sometimes useless if your immune system is really weakened. Well, what do you think about that list of measures that I, that I introduced the show with, which, uh, you know, lockdowns, uh, mask mandates, uh, social distancing, quarantines, stay in your house mandates, travel restrictions. Does any of that, uh, help or is the cost or the costs of those things so much higher than the possible benefits? Well, we have an article on a homepage of uh, Just Facts called uh, Crucial Facts, Essential Facts About COVID-19. And it goes into detail and it, and it shows that uh, the costs far outweigh the benefits of these very draconian measures like lockdowns. E each one of those things is very complicated and sometimes it's hard to measure benefits versus risks because it's not a controlled experiment. But uh, when it comes to lockdowns, the data are crystal clear. Many, many more times people will be killed by those than uh, will be saved. Um, and I use the word will in future tense because some of the harms of the lockdown, in fact, many of them um, might not manifest immediately. You know, the, the, the virus tends to kill very older people. Well, these things that the lockdown causes like anxiety, missed medical care, unemployment 
tend to kill people over the long term. So they might take five, 10 years off the backside of somebody's life. Well, you and I got introduced when we did a show over a year ago talking about the, the person or man years lives lost from uh, COVID versus the, the, the man years lives lost from, uh, uh, from all other, other causes. What do you, what, what, let's fast forward to today. Do you still stand by that as what's happened in the last year and a half prove that to be still true? It, it's been confirmed time and time again. Uh, I've read studies in academic journals and I'm like, this number is exactly the same as the number I calculated back in April or May of I think that's when we first and talked, it's just yeah. coming out now. It's, it's, it's like right on the nose. Um, so yeah, I absolutely stand by that. And uh, it's what the data but, has but proven it's to But it's an extraordinary difference though. I mean, the, what's the average life and expect, expectancy at birth in America is about 75 and the average age of death of COVID victims was, I think average life expectancy at birth is 79 and COVID deaths were at age 75. But if you take a look at uh, mortality tables or life expectancy tables, for people who are 65, they're supposed to be living another 15 or 20 years. And, 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 and in fact, because it disproportionately affects old people, uh, COVID really uh, changes things for them not that much. And by locking everybody else down, it ruins so many years that they have left. And they, the, the drug issues, the failure to get heart, tr heart treatment, diabetes, cancer, so on and so forth, um, that, that I think is the, the cost you're talking about, right? Yeah. And it's also the, the anxiety that was induced by the constant fear mongering that was done to scare the public into submission. I mean, you have an enormous amount of mental health issues and anxiety is a tremendous killer. And oftentimes it just doesn't happen right away. It's, it might elevate your blood pressure, uh, much earlier in life than it otherwise would, which ultimately kills you maybe at 65 when maybe you would have lived to 75. Now I'm saying maybe because I'm using a hypothetical example, but there are hard numbers on this that I've documented in our research. And it, it's enormous. Depression, uh, all of these things that have come from the fear mongering um, are harmful to people. So they say, well, you know, we scared them into submission. Well, that's fine, but what did you do also? You, you might've protected them from spreading COVID temporarily during this lockdown, and it came right back the moment the lockdown ended. And, and so what have you even accomplished here? Well, I, I think we need, I don't want to veer to the political, although I seem to end up there, but you know, FDR said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And that, another word for anxiety. And our public leaders have done just the opposite. They've whipped up fear, and instead of instead of leading us out of this, they're leading us uh, into it even deeper. And with each new variant, it looks like we're not going to get uh, we're not going to get released from their uh, their mandates. Thoughts? Well, also, it, it provides a convenient excuse for the failure of their mandates. We <clears throat> still have a tremendous death toll going on in the United States and throughout the world, and uh, we've done everything they've said right? Masking, vaccines, lockdowns, and we still have this death toll. And they can say, well, it wasn't my, my policy. It was this variant. But again, the, the variants are thus far have been immunologically minor. 
They really have. And study after study after study on naturally acquired immunity is showing that, that uh, it is, it's not a, a, it can't give you 100% protection because again, all it does is prime your immune system to react quickly. If your immune system doesn't work, you're out of luck. But that, that, that's the same with every disease, okay? But it does provide an enormous level of protection. Two things that I, I want to move on from masks, but we did we did mention something, uh, the UV disinfection systems. What are those? Yeah, I wanted to get back to that. So here's the thing. For 80 years, uh, there have been experiments done in a, a VA hospital. I'm going back to like 1940s, 1950s in a school. And what they show is that when you have a contagious respiratory disease and an outbreak of it, an epidemic or a pandemic, um, the way you can control it is by irradiating the air with UV light, which is part of the energy spectrum emitted by the sun, and it kills the microbes in the air. Um, you can't, because these aerosols are so fine and so, uh, uh, what do you call something when it's all over the place? Um, I'm the president, right? I'm the president, how's that? In a room. Okay, we get $5 for a big word. Yeah. <laughs> An institution like a nursing home, um, you really can't contain them. You have to kill them. And there have been studies done showing point blank, this oh absolutely kills the microbes. It can reduce transmission to almost nothing, well, which I is thought... what you have to do when somebody's old and immunologically compromised. You have to prevent that virus from getting to them because their immune system won't work. And what did government do? particularly New York, New Jersey. They put people that had this virus into, into these homes together, said mask up, and, and none of it worked. They died in droves, and they're still dying in droves. And this could be prevented with a UV system. There's different types of ones that I go into uh, in my article on masks, but these work. Now, this is the really nefarious thing, and this thing gets me so angry. So. This past spring, when the CDC and World Health Organization finally came around to admitting, hey, this thing uh, is often spread by aerosols, they both changed within the course of a week their websites on how COVID-19 is transmitted to say, hey, aerosols are an issue here. No press releases, no announcement, hey, we got this thing wrong. And this is what they did. They used to have a statement on that page when they were denying the reality of aerosol transmission, saying that's oh, very, very rare. It only comes out from certain medical procedures. They had a thing. They said, if this is transmitted via aerosols, we need special engineering controls, i.e. like UV systems, to stop the spread of this. UV systems, how can we get one? Is it, are, they, are they commercial only? Or are, there, are there retail UV systems we can buy at uh, CVS? Can, can I get to that after I finish this point? Because I'm almost done when it's super strong. Okay, so they said, hey, um, you need these engineering controls. On the day they changed that website to admit aerosols were a big factor, they deleted that statement. That's nefarious, I'm sorry. They admitted, they knew you needed controls and when they finally, if you had aerosols, and when they finally said, hey, we have aerosols, instead of saying, hey, we were wrong, we need to do something different now, they deleted the incriminating statement. It basically said, hey, we've been doing this all wrong. We need to do something different. 
So to your next question, where do we get them? Um, they're mostly commercial. Yeah, but I want to linger systems. on that last statement because the CDC seems to be liable here for uh, real malfeasance. Uh, and the World Health Organization. And, and not only that, they had the gall, the unmitigated gall, to put up another webpage that said, although our understanding of how COVID-19 transmits has changed, we basically don't need to do anything different. Now, their own website said, you do need to do something different. And they just disappeared that evidence. And I've got, by the way, links to that, to archives of those pages. You can read it. You can see it with your own eyes. Which article is that in on your website? Uh, that's in the article on mass. Okay. Everything you wanted to know about mass. The so let's let's go forward in terms of you know you and I talked about this a year and a half ago. We we were both skeptical about the overall lethality of of the virus and that it was really if you look at people under the age of seventy five, it's pretty close to the flu, a, a bad flu season, but it's not much worse than that. But over 75 into the 80s, it is much more lethal. And we thought we really need to protect those vulnerable people. And what you're saying is that had we gotten that knowledge out about the UV systems and their effectiveness in dealing with aerosols, we could have prevented a lot of deaths in nursing homes. There's no question in my mind, and we could be preventing a lot of deaths. Now, let me say this. I don't think the break-even point on the flu is 75. I think it's more down in the 20s or 30s, but um, because COVID-19 is so much more transmissible, it gets to a lot more people a lot more quickly. But uh, that aside, absolutely, we could and should easily be saving lives. And they knew that. And yet, instead of saying, taking the responsibility, which is what an honest person would do and say, I screwed up big time here, let's change course. They didn't. Well, let's. I, I keep wanting to find out. <laughs> I want to run out and buy one of these UV disinfection systems. Where do where do we get them? Okay, so so the really good ones they're called upper air room UV. They're, they're only really affordable for institutional settings like nursing homes and hospitals. Now, scaling down from that, uh, typically if you have a, an HVAC system in your house, you might even have one in it right now. Okay, I know I have one. I have a relatively new HVAC system and you can get it added at a relatively reasonable cost. You can get one, put it in line. And as the air runs through that system, it gets disinfected by the UV light. Now, the problem with that is you only get a certain amount of turnover in an HVAC system over time. So if you're sitting there across, uh, across the table from someone and you have it or they have it, odds are that's not gonna protect you. Uh, there are room units. I have one actually uh, in my dining room, um, but the data on them is a uh, little less than uh, ideal in terms of how effective they are. But I looked for one that had the most uh, power in it and I ordered one. And uh, when we're done here, I'd be happy to send you an email link to the one I Well, have. I think we need to get it out on, the, on our website, yours and mine, because we could, we could make holiday dinners a lot, a lot happier this year if we said buy one of these machines. <laughs> you, you know, they're, they're doing things, you know, people are not letting people come to dinner because they don't have, they're not wearing a mask or they haven't have the vax or whatever criteria. Maybe we, if we just convince people that aerosols were the culprits and here's how you kill them, um, we could make a lot of lives happy. Yeah, I mean, again, you got to be careful with these these units because they're not really proven or tested. But the technology is in there. They are moving the air. 
and they are using it. But how effective they are in the real world remains to be determined. Okay, uh, this is the Bill Walton Show. I'm here talking with Jim Agresti, founder of Just Facts, and done tremendous work into the realities and details about what the virus is and what the virus isn't. And before we go into another area, we were talking about masks. Masks are not very good for you. They not only don't protect you from the virus, but they do a lot of harm. Well, going to qualify that again. I'm a man of details here. Let's that's just why, say that's, that, that's why the, I the, want you to drop footnotes to my generalizations. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, N95 masks are fine enough to protect from, from the COVID-19, from spreading to some degree. They have to be worn properly. They have to Those be are the ones with the little knobs on them that the sur surgeons wear in the hospitals. No, the, surgeon, the surgical masks are the blue ones. Okay. And uh, let me tell you some studies on those because those, those were really the start of masking, right? That's where people primarily use them. They've been used in operating rooms for many, many years because of, if, if I'm operating on somebody, if Dr. Agresti is operating on somebody and uh, I'm talking to them and saying, give me the scalpels, give me this, give me that. I'm over this person's open wound and I'm, I'm spitting into them, right? So that's what these were developed for. Right. Now, here's the interesting thing. There have been studies done on people who have had surgery with and without the surgeons wearing the masks. And there's no difference in their infection rates. Not only that, they've placed uh, uh, APGAR plates, which is where you culture the uh, uh, viruses, airborne viruses in surgical rooms, and they find out whether everybody's wearing a mask or nobody is, the uh, amount of bacteria and microbes floating in the air is exactly the same. Uh, they said, well, it's gotta be people out in the hallway that are causing the problem. So they mask the people in the hallway, same exact results. These are not containing uh, microscopic airborne viruses. And it makes sense given the sizes of the pores and the sizes of the, vi uh, the virus aerosol particles. But you talk also in your piece about uh, the CO2, CO2 and some of the risks it has for people um, in inhaling wearing masks and uh, they're um, particularly when they're exercising and it impairs uh, strategic thinking, complex decision-making a lot of good reasons to not wear one. So th there is an enormous amount of research on this in peer reviewed literature, again, predating the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of it. Some of it, there's been a renewed focus on it, but a lot of it is even before this. And, and this is what it shows. Uh, we exhale carbon dioxide. It's approximately uh, 100 times more concentrated than the air we, we breathe in. Uh, when we exhale into a mask, some of it flows out, but some of it is rebreathed. Um, it changes the mixture of the air we're breathing. And you can feel that when you're wearing a mask. You're not inhaling fresh air. It's mixed with your exhalation. And uh, the levels, depending on the type of mask, can be significant. Uh, we talked about the N95 mask. The levels in there, I, I'm trying to remember the number off the top of my head. I think they're between four to six times OSHA's work shift limit for carbon uh, uh, dioxide in the air. Now, going down to, to the lesser, you know, all the way down to the cloth mass, even in cloth mass, uh, the level is about uh, twice what it, the governments around the world typically allow for the carbon dioxide level in classrooms. So you have about 
400 parts per million in fresh air. The classroom limit typically is around 1,000 parts per million. We're up around 2,000 parts per million inside of a cloth mask. The kids are breathing all day. There have been uh, several studies done on the cognitive capacity uh, of people wearing such masks, including one done on aircraft pilots. Extremely interesting. They put them in a flight simulator. They put a cloth mask on them. And then they saw how they performed. And there were statistically significant uh, uh, drops in their cognitive capacity, their ability to successfully execute flight maneuvers. Now, this is complex, higher level thinking. It doesn't impact uh, lower level uh, thinking, two plus two equals four, simple things like we're talking about that. And that's what the CDC shows on its website. No impact, no impact. Well, they're cherry picking the studies that don't really have a, uh, a mentally demanding tests in them. If you look at the ones that are mentally demanding, you do see drop-offs in cognitive capacity. Well, uh, that's why I don't, I don't need any drop-off in cognitive capacity. That's why I'm, 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 I'm a mask resistor. Somebody sent me a video of a group of uh, six-year-olds and a, having a, they don't call it a Christmas part uh, event anymore. They call it winter sharing. Okay. Very politically correct, and it was like 40 kids, and they were all sitting on the, they're standing on these uh, marks on the floor, on the gym floor, socially distanced, of course, and they're all wearing masks, and they were singing and dancing. <laughs> what do you think? Okay, forget about what I think. Let's look at a study here. Okay. <laughs> so, there was a case in California that the CDC did a study on. And it was a teacher, uh, he or she was unvaccinated and came to school symptomatically ill with COVID. Didn't tell anyone, maybe thought, ah, I have a cold, I've had it a thousand times before. Let's just call it he for the sake of argument because the name is unknown and the gender. The classroom was set up with the windows open, we're in California here, with everybody mass, with the furthest student uh, 50 plus feet away from the teacher uh, and half the kids or more in that class caught COVID from the teacher. They know because they tested positive shortly thereafter. And it was, a, a you know, let's just call it a, a small super spreader event. All right. Now, what does the CDC blame on this? The teacher took off his mask a couple of times to read. See, that's the reason. Not that the kids were all masked, not aerosols. It's the teacher took off his mask a couple of times. They even said mask compliance was high. You know, it, it can't be perfect anywhere. I mean, you go on a plane, they take you take it off to eat, drink. So this is the depth of their blindness to see what is going on here. That this is not working. You're getting massive spread here in a situation that if what they were saying was true, you'd have no spread. The kids are masked, the windows are open, everybody's distanced, yet they're coming down with this. Oh, and by the way, the other culprit, oh, it's a Delta variant. So we're, we're, we're segueing. We've covered about 10% of what I wanted to talk with you about, but that's, that's, that's what always happens with us. But we're segueing into where we are now and the new variants. And I want you to go back into what you think about what we ought to think about that and what the next variant might be after Omicron, because we know they'll invent one. 
and it, 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 to me, it dovetails into the political agenda or the power agenda that seems to be operating here and CDC, World Health Organization. I do want you to speak to the science on the variants, but I also would love to have your, 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 your opinion about where, where you think the motivations are that are driving this misinformation campaign that we've seen for the last uh, two years. So um, beyond what I've already said about the Delta variant and the mutations and the proofreading mechanism, I really can't speak much to the Omicron variant because there's not a lot of data out yet. I've read a few working papers. Uh, to me, they're, they're less than definitive. So I really can't add substantively to, to what's going on with that, except to say the virus has a proof reading mechanism in it and the mutations to, to, to date, contrary to what the media has told you, have been very, very limited. I can say that with a surety. Now, uh, let's get to motivations. And this is a question that inevitably comes up. And every time it does, I, uh, I flinch a little because I'm a fat guy. And uh, I know facts, I know how to do research. I'm, I'm not really good at mind reading. Um, and, and doing that requires me being Sigmund Freud, getting inside their head and figuring out what's going on. So this is all I can tell you. Number one, they have been patently wrong about many important things. We've seen that time and time again, whether it's the death rate, how this thing spreads. Uh, it just, the list is on and on and on of misstatements by the World Health Organization. By the way, early on, they were, they were going in the opposite direction. They were downplaying how, you know, how the virus was transmissible. They said, it's about as transmissible as the flu. No, it's not. It's way more transmissible. So they're getting everything wrong. Then uh, they're covering their tracks, like I explained with the CDC and the aerosol transmission and the engineering controls. Then you have Facebook, Twitter, all the tech giants saying, if you say something that is at odds with the CDC, the World Health Organization, we're going to censor you. Now, this is what Einstein said. He said, science can only flourish in an atmosphere of free speech. And what they're doing is you're not seeing a flourishing of science because they're taking away one of the essential elements of it, which is allowing people to argue. Even if somebody's saying something dead wrong, if you start squelching that debate, you don't let them say it, then you also uh, reduce the opportunity for people to reply and say, hey, this is wrong and this is why. This is how science works. This is how freedom works. This is how good things happen in society because people are free to get information. Look at every totalitarian regime. What do they do? They squash free speech. And what happens? People suffer. And that's one of the things that's going on right now. Oh, I so agree. And it's not only happening on this topic, but it's happening on so many others. And uh, mm -hmm. we had a little discussion, story meeting before we came on with you, deciding how we wanted to talk about this without getting canceled by YouTube. I think we may have gotten through the wicket. I'm not sure. Um, but if we can't find us on YouTube, you can find us on Rumble <laughs> and on our <laughs> website. And Jim will have this on uh, on the JustFacts.com website. Uh, Jim, this has been a fantastic discussion, as always, and, and plan on coming back uh, sometime soon so we can we can talk about the next chapter. And, uh, you know, just to tease a couple ideas, I also want to get into into it with you about money and where we're going to go from there, because inflation is real and it's man-made, uh, and it's man-made in Washington, in part, or in largely. And uh, 
you've got some thoughts about that. But at this point, let's let's settle in on, I think, at least from my mind, we've, we've resolved the question about masks and the variants. So thank you for that. Jim well, McGrusty, founder of Just Facts, JustFacts.com. This is the Bill Walton Show. And as I mentioned, you can find us on YouTube and Rumble and all the major podcast platforms or wherever you get your uh, wherever you get your audio podcast. So thanks for joining. Thank you, Bill. Great to, have, great to be with you as always. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.